When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing. I'm Dr. Mike, host of Going There. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. Going There breaks the stigma of mental health issues by having real honest conversations with your favorite musicians, including Alessia Cara, Lizzie Hale, Jewel, Jason Isbell, Gerard Way, Lauren Gray, Shamir, and Barty Strange. There was something there that was so raw, where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by SoundMind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Someone sent you holiday drink. Hey, thanks. Can I guess what it is? Eggnog from a friend? I don't think so. A vintage red for dinner with the in-laws tonight? How did you know I'm going? Or is it apology scotch from your neighbors for driving through your lawn? What? That was Randy? Aw, it's a mezcal for my dad. Wow. Is he single? Download the Drizzly app for alcohol delivery or order online at drizly.com. What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 155 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. So I am back from Ireland, and I can't wait to share with you and Mike all the details of the 21 Drums Camp that I was doing over there with Keith Carlock, Mark Juliana, and Ash Zone. And after we get through all that, we'll talk some education. We'll talk about some bottom kick triplets. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Barrett Martin from the band Screaming Trees, as well as the Barrett Martin Group. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the Yamaha EAD-10. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. It is good to be back. How's everything with you, bud? Uh, it's fine. I'm surprisingly rested. I didn't travel across the country and continents and oceans and teach for three uh-huh. days. Three days? How long was the camp? Four days? Three days? The camp's five days five and then days? a clinic on the sixth day. Hmm. So it's intense, man. And so, yeah, so we have, we get there the day before to set up all the gear. It's a lot of kits, a lot of hardware, a lot of cymbals. Yeah. Uh, normally it's not that many drums, but Mr. Keith Carlock joined the party this time. So he yeah. was seven piece. So is every kit mic'd up at all the time? Yep. That's a lot of channels. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, big Neve console, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy because they, they just never know when an impromptu thing is going to break out and they want to have the audio of it. So there's a house engineer for the entire day just sitting on the desk waiting for us to do something cool. Oh, my God. Was he cool or did yeah. he hate you by the end of it? No, he's awesome. It's been the same guy for the last four years, okay. so he knows it's the most chill thing he'll ever do. Because when, when our class is done, he'll say, okay, I got all that. Uh, what do you need? And I'm like, nothing. You can just trash the file. And he's like, okay, I'll go back to sleep. And I'm like, I'll I'll let you know. I'm like, if you hear more than one of us at the same time playing drums, feel free to record that, mix that. But we did get, um, Mark had a, um, it was kind of cool. Like what we had, 
was the the day was the same every day. So class one was a pad class. Class two was a drum set lesson. Mm-hmm. Class three was a listening session. And class four was what we called wild card, which is whoever was teaching class four got to teach whatever the heck they wanted, what was personal to them. But it didn't have to fall into any category. And uh, in Mark's wild card lesson, Mark Juliano's wild card lesson, he just taught how to get different sounds out of the drum set and how to be creative. And so at the end of his class, he just gave everyone something to make noise with. And if they didn't have a percussion item or something, then it was like, just grab something in the room or stomp on the floor. But it was a really cool exercise where he said, all right, we're going to play in this tempo. And here are the guidelines. No one can play faster than eighth notes. And however many notes you play, you have to give at least that much rest before you play again. So all we really had was a pulse. Mm. So if I played doom, 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 I had to rest doom, doom, doom before I played something again. And there was with the teachers, there were uh, 24 of us in there besides Mark. And by the end of all of that, I mean, that was like the thing that we did record and we had room mics everywhere and it was we made an amazing little soundtrack out of it and really, really enjoyed it. So it was cool. <clears throat> I was happy that we had a chance to do that. And uh, and then just getting to know Keith because I've never really spent any time with him. I don't think any of us, myself, Mark, or Ash, have spent any time with him. So it was really cool. So how did he get involved? Really, uh, the the head of Music Maker, which is the store that helps me put on this camp, he said when we were done with last year, he said, so what do you want to do? And I was like, uh, do it again because it was rad. <laughs> and I love Mark and Ash, and I think that we all bring something very unique to the table for this camp. So it's not a repeat of, you know, you're not learning the same thing from three different people. We see the world very differently from the drum set's perspective. And so um, he said, what do you think about bringing in a fourth? And I was like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and he said, what if the fourth was Keith Carlock? Like, that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> And uh, so that's kind of, he said, well, he's come over here with Rudder a few times and and I have a good relationship with him. Would you want me to reach out? And I know that that would give us four Gretsch artists. And I said, yeah, man, I think that would be great. And, uh, and we we really just didn't know how it would go because he's such a private guy. I mean, he's, uh, (laughs) it was so funny. I kept tagging him in all my posts on Instagram and then he's not into social media at all. Right. And he would just, he would keep showing me his phone. It'd be like, like a hundred people at, you know, following him all at once. And he's like, what is going on, man? I'm like, Oh dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't even ask your permission. I've been tagging you in these videos. He's like, no, this is great. I I didn't know how this thing worked. And, uh, so it was really cool. We had a good time hanging with him. Um, his playing was 100% Keith Carlock and it was just flawless. But I mean, really get the classes that we had getting a chance to learn on a practice pad from Keith Carlock, you know, cause he's got that marching pedigree mm-hmm. and, and the rudimental stuff. He's got it so dialed and then getting a chance to, especially the listening sessions. I think those were like probably my favorites because the whole point of it was I asked the guys to form your drumming DNA through the albums that impacted you the most and share that with us. So having Keith show us what he was listening to when he was 13 and 17 and 20 and 25 I mean, you just got like so much insight into what makes him who he is. So it was really fun. So what was the big surprise track in his discography or his influences? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Literally everything, everything he played, you were like, yeah, I hear that. Uh, it was a lot of, I would say it was a complete mix of the meters and Steely Dan. 
I mean, he played mm. a lot of that kind of stuff. It, it was it was literally right down the middle of Zigaboo and Jeff Beccaro. Now, what did the other guys um, pick? I would say what sub- I knew this about Mark just because I've spent enough time with him, but I think a lot of people were surprised when the first thing he played was uh, Chili Peppers track. And oh, then yeah. Yeah. after that, they were like, okay, let's get into some Coltrane. And then he just played immediately played a Nirvana track. Yeah. And they were just like, wait, what? We had this conception of who Mark is. He's a jazzer, you know? And so I think that blew a lot of people away. Um, and then he de- definitely went into the Coltrane thing and played, you know, showed some Elvin and showed some Tony. And I remember him saying, he's like, you know what? If at the end of the camp, if the only thing I've accomplished is that I've gotten some people to give Elvin Jones a chance, it'll be worth it to me. Yeah, I was like, that's right. cool, man. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, and then Ash showed just, it was funny, like everything that Ash showed, you could hear the drum tones. Mm. You could kind of hear like, oh, I remember when he made the video of those drum tones. Even though this song he's showing us is from 1982, you can tell he just l- still listens to some of that stuff and is like, wow, can I recreate the drum tones of... Britpop 1987, you know, or whatever. Mm, yeah. Um, so it was it was really cool. I, I, I felt like uh, everyone just got to know these guys a lot better, which is what I wanted for this camp. Dig it. So you got to prep for another one in just a couple days. Good on you. Yeah. yeah so uh, <laughs> camp starts on Sunday. Uh, I think I have two more camps and then off to the UK drum show. And I'm doing some master classes uh, around the UK before the actual UK drum show on Sunday, the 28th, I believe is what I'm playing. Wow. So when is that? Is that October? End of October? No, September. That's in September. Yeah. Yeah. I must be thinking like, of the old London drum show was close yeah, to so basic. And that's still, from what I understand, that's still going on as well. Okay. Um, but and that's um, in London. Then this is in Manchester. So, yeah, just getting ready for that. And it was cool getting a chance to teach a lot of the topics that are going to be in my London Drum Show clinic. Teaching them at this camp gave me a chance to really explore things and think. Oh man, if this works in a sixty-minute class, I'm gonna. It's gonna be great as a quick like best of you know Mm -hmm. type of thing so i'm really excited about that that should be fun and i just haven't seen benny in a long time it'll be great to see him i don't know richard spaven at all i really personally don't know jojo at all even though we've done some things together before uh so i'm just looking forward to the hangs should be a lot of fun that'll be cool so i have a question totally different topic Mm -hmm. Uh, i'd realized recently that i've never actually had a formal photo shoot of myself i've been a part of photo Mm. shoots for other people and i've you know kind of directed photo shoots but i've never been the subject of a photo shoot Mm -hmm. and i've got a lot of promo stuff i have to do uh soon so how do you approach the idea of having a photographer in your face you know that they're trying to capture cool vibey photos but you want to look good too you don't want to have like triple chins and mouth wide open kind of vibe I will send you a video, first of all. Uh, No, seriously, there's uh, a a girl named Sorel Amore. She's from Australia, but she lives in Iceland. Anyway, she's a professional vlogger, and she has quite a few uh, videos on how to pose um, body-wise and face-wise. So I'll send you that. But besides that, first of all, are you going to be playing drums, or is it just you with without playing mostly playing i mean there will be some portraits okay. portraits involved um that that's a whole other thing i'm i'm trying to figure that out too but it mainly it's the when i'm playing drums how do i 
not look like I'm completely uncomfortable, which I know I will be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to just play um, and just think like, okay, I'm going to give him 25 seconds of eyes closed shots, him or her. And so I'm kind of playing and I'm doing that. Uh, the arm. Well, the other thing you have to remember is no one can hear you in the photo ever. Yeah. So what you play means nothing. <laughs> so it's just a little bit of exaggerated arm movements. Uh, and then maybe like, OK, I've given the photographer 20 seconds of eyes closed deep thought. And now they're going to get 30 seconds of a little smirk. I'm kind of. You know, a little Papa Joe Jones in this thing. I'm just kind of surprised at my own badassity. This is amazing. Holy crap. Uh, and so I just go through all these different emotions. And then hopefully by about four or five of those, you actually forget that you're doing a photo shoot. And that's usually the shots you'll use is when you're just being you. Um, and keep in mind, they're going to take 100 or 200 or 300 shots. You only need one or two. Yeah. So, um, And the photographer knows that. So that's that for that. And then when it comes to the portrait stuff, you just need to take a lot of pictures of yourself with your iPhone and you need to learn what is your smile. Are you a teeth, you know, wide teeth kind of guy? Or are you more of just a half squint, half smile, which generally look, looks better than being like, oh, my God, it's my birthday. Like that never works. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, and the more you do it, the better you get at it, man. Yeah. Uh, the other yeah. thing you have to think about, though, is. You have to be really helpful with the photographer. Like you said, you've directed photo shoots before, but you need to let them know, hey, if you see them holding their camera a certain way and you're like, man, you haven't done any um, portrait shots like holding the camera sideways, mm -hmm. you need to know that there's going to be text above you for PASIC or whatever you're doing. And so you have to direct them with that stuff too. And take the, take the time. The photographer's already there. It's not going to cost you any extra money. Take the time to do some stuff where – it's just you in kind of a portrait mode, but you're just maybe pointing to the side and, and you think that's where you're going to put text someday or that's where you're going to put a logo someday. Um, so and sometimes even I'll just say like, man, can I just get you for another half hour and just quickly can we just shoot my symbols? Um, you know, me holding a symbol, me holding my sticks. Um, mm. So it yeah. just depends on how quick you're going and, and how the photographer charges. But you'll yeah. be fine, man. Just just play. And, and like I said, you only need one or two shots. So. Yeah, it should be interesting. I'll definitely report on it because I I've always kind of lived by the guidelines that the camera steals a piece of your soul. So, <laughs> oh God. that's so funny. We are in such opposite boats. I'm like, where's the camera? That's it. That, that gives me my soul back. I love. I like instantly put camera. up this invisible force field. Like you need to stay away from me. Don't yeah. touch my soul. <laughs> you, you you dirty devil of a camera. Oh, that's so funny. Well, in, in today's day and age, you got to get used to it. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, whatever. Or, or you know what? Or you just need to have been really badass for the past 20 years. Because I was thinking, like, Keith doesn't have Instagram. Keith doesn't have a YouTube channel. He doesn't care. He just has a massive resume that yeah. allows him to work all the time. I mean, he's also you know? been the subject of photo shoots for many years. So he doesn't he yeah. doesn't need to worry about having publicity shots taken anytime soon i don't think no and the world promotes for him you know and yeah. uh but by the way i mean I, I i will say this he's a very private guy and i don't think very many people unless they've toured with him actually know him he couldn't have been more supportive to the campers he was amazing and you know we try really hard to make sure that we're in each other's classes so if mark's teaching myself keith and asher there and, and vice versa but it's not always easy with jet lag and you know, sometimes it's a class where you're like, ah, man, I've seen this one before. 
But we always try to be there, and Keith didn't miss a single class. He was there for every every person's class, and he would come to me and say, like, hey, Mark's teaching at three, right? Or or do you go on in an hour? Okay, I'll be there. And, like, he it, it was really cool. He didn't have to be there. He could have easily been in his room taking a nap, but he was there for everything. Take it. Yeah, man. Good yeah, stuff. I'd like to hear him and Ash play a shuffle for about eight hours. They did. <laughs> they did. <laughs> that would be it. And it was, it was so beautiful to see Ash, like, like giddy like a kid you know i mean he really looks up to keith a lot um especially i i mean i didn't know how deep keith's resume was and how far back it went with steely dan yeah like keith just casually mentioned something he's like yeah man i remember first album i did with him and he said the date and i was like uh that kid, you mean 2008 i'm like that that would have been 20 years ago if you mean 98 like, yeah <laughs> that's when i did it and i was like oh my god you've been recording with steely dan for two decades like I thought you bought drumsticks at your local shop and then you played the Modern Drummer Festival because that's when I found out about you. You know, I could be wrong, but I think he's the only drummer to play on an entire Seely Dan record. Like, I think even... Oh, because they always had so many different drummers? Yeah, I mean, maybe Procaro was on Katie Lied and nobody else, but I don't think there's been anyone else who's played on an entire record without someone. Wow. Well, which is really impressive considering the number of records and number of world renowned artists they've had on their records yeah that they just said oh I yeah mean, you can just play the whole thing we're not going to do our usual thing of getting a different drummer for every track you can yeah, do it all it, and, and it was cool too just to see like in, in his listening session as he, as he was as he was taking us through some of the steely dan stuff it was really cool for him to show us like okay here's what bernard played on this or here's what jeff played on this and here's what I play on this when we tour that the band is okay with. You know, it's it's true enough, but I still have to be me because we were kind of asking, dude, do you go full like wide open? Like, do you go full Carlock in Steely Dan? He's like, no, 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 they would lose their minds because he at, at this thing. I mean, he was full Carlock. It was ball, 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 and. uh yeah, so it, it was it was interesting. I mean, because of who he is as an artist, and then who he is as a session drummer, there were it, it brought up a lot of great questions. Like, okay, you're Keith Carlock, you're a famous, world renowned drummer. Do producers approach you and tell you to put a pillow in your bass drum, and how do you handle that? You know, and he's like, oh yeah, of course they do. <laughs> no one wants to hear this. Um, in Intel, I mean, but Intel, it's a live situation and it fits the music. I mean, I. I it would drive me nuts if he didn't have that bass drum sound in Rudder. It's it's an instrument in itself in the yeah, band. Yeah, that's true. So so yeah, it was really cool. We had a good time, and, and watching Ash and Keith play shuffles together was awesome. And uh, the four of us getting to jam together, it's, it's a pretty amazing feeling um, to look everywhere you look. You see one of your favorite drummers and. You know, one of your friends. So it's pretty fun. So I guess you're going to add Steve Gadd next year. <laughs> <laughs> What's next, right? That's what everyone's asking. You know, I was thinking, like, who else is out there that could handle being one fifth of the camp? Well, I don't think we'd ever go to five, but who else? You know, Keith is the only wild card as far as an artist because myself, Ash, and Mark handle our own schedules. You know, mm, right? We all book ourselves. So if we know a year in advance that this is coming up, we book it. Keith is actually the only one that could have Sting, John Mayer, Steely Dan, somebody come to him and say, uh, we are going out in August. And he has no, you know, you know, he doesn't get to say no to that. So I have to be prepared to have someone else to fill that spot. And I'm like, who else could be one fourth of this camp? You know, I mean, if I brought in 
there's so many drummers that if I brought them in, it's like, man, I think the camp would be better if they just did it by themselves. Mm. Uh, yeah, right. They're just such a powerhouse of personality and artistry. And um, so, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Um, I don't uh, I have a couple people in mind right now, but we'll keep that under wraps. And we and we just got to see. I mean, maybe Keith could uh, commit. I don't know if Keith will want to commit. I'm sure because that place on year one, man, it, it can be a little tough when you're like, wait, so there's no Internet like, no. <laughs> and there's bugs. Yeah, we're in a field. Yeah, there's bugs everywhere. And the water is not clear. Nope. They're they're running on a well system. That's peat in the water. It's yeah. It's like okay. But it is a castle. It's like, yes, it is. It's a castle and Michael Jackson lived here. There I was I was telling uh, Chris Brady from Aquarian, I said, There's at least two times a day that out loud you will say, There's no effing way Michael Jackson lived in this place. Mm. Two times a day. No matter something will happen, you're like, There's no way Michael Jackson lived here. And then sure enough, you hear the stories. Oh, not Check this out. Sorry that I'm yelling. <laughs> so the place is pretty cool. Like, I mean, just random amazing things happen at this place almost every day. So some kid shows up from Spain. He's probably like 25 <laughs> years old. And all we're told is this is whoever he's visiting from Spain. And he's into uh, his study. He was studying in America to be an engineer. So he's, is it okay if he just kind of shadows the house engineer while you guys are doing your camp? I'm like, yeah, of course. The guy was crazy kind, crazy humble, crazy nice. Two or three days go by. He's been there. We've all been hanging out with him, and he's kind of one of the group now. And someone goes, do you know who that is? I go, oh, no idea. And they go, uh, that's the king of Spain's nephew. Oh, wow. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like wait. And he's then I'm thinking, like, well, like, the kid, like does, does Spain have four or five kings? Or is it like one? It's like, yeah, that's the king of Spain's nephew. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Wow, Patty, the owner of the studio, has been making him shovel things into the fire pit all night, and I was like, "All right, cool, man." So uh, it's it's a it's a special place. So if you want to meet royalty, check out Twenty One Drums, two thousand nineteen, and uh, we're, I think we're almost sold out for next year. So it's going crazy. Oh man! All right, so let's we get into it, man. Dig into some. What are we going to talk about? Let's talk about this article, a John Bonham foot pattern. So this article is by Powell Randolph. If you haven't seen it yet, it's in the September issue. And he focused on the triplets that Bonham did in Good Times, Bad Times and created an ostinato out of it. So it's the left mm. foot plays on the downbeat and the right foot fills in the triplets on the second and third partial. Mm-hmm. Um, which I also think of that as being the Dennis Chambers drum solo ostinato. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I've and, uh, seen and it's do also- that at least a dozen times. It's also in uh, Weckl's DVD set, the, so not back to basics, but when he came back with that whole batch of DVDs, he taught it as a independence ostinato. Um, uh, yeah, that's and, right. And he taught it as triplets, and he taught it as 16th notes. So it can, it can be one E and a two E and a three E and a one E and a, or it can be one and a one and a two and a two and a three and a three and a four and a four and a, which is how it's being referenced in this article because that's how Bonham played it. Interesting. Yeah, so Powell takes it through um, a couple of different cool variations. So what's the one? He starts out with just, it's like a straight ostinato, but then he starts throwing it in like the good times, bad times beat where the triplets only happen on half of the measure or three quarters of the measure. Right. Um, That is super hard for me. I've practiced that one a ton. Okay. And I have a hard time getting the second note to speak. For something something about that... Like if I'm just going to do one or two, it's cool. But when I do multiple, 
right. I don't know why. And also making sure that it's a triplet and not 16th note, like not a 32nd note or something. 32nd notes. Yeah, I mean, that's been I mean, probably one of my most watched YouTube lessons is my foot speed warm-up where I do two notes, but the whole point of it is controlling the speed. So it's two 16th notes, then 16th note triplets, then 32nd notes, then yeah. 64ths. Yeah. So getting used to dun-dun, 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 dun-dun. You know, that type of feel. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's a tough thing is what happens is it seems like as we're gaining foot speed, we finally get to that skip, slide, whatever we, whatever you do for yourself to get doom, grit, doom, grit. And we're like, yeah, bass players dig that. I'll do more of that. And then we never realize like, yeah, but you have no control. You're just, that's just like throwing dice. You're just hoping that it all works out. And that's what I think made the Bonham thing so cool is it was like it was so precisely triplets. Yeah. And it's not it's and not super duper fast. And I think it's right in the middle for me. That's, where that's it, the worst. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? It's not fast enough where you can just do a real quick kind of spastic double. And it's right. not so slow that you can you can stroke both it's notes two, out. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, it's not two singles. It, it's you have to really, really, you know, spend some time with that. I mean, really, it's just like everything we've ever spoken about on this podcast. It comes down to the hours and how many hours you put into it. But I don't remember hearing it before hearing Good Times, Bad Times. Um, and, yeah, and that, I it wasn't was Dennis actually for me. I, I heard okay. Dennis first and then heard that maybe almost simultaneously. Because there was like right. a, a Schofield track where, which one is it? Uh, I can't remember. Blue Matter? No. Okay. One of those tracks where he does a lot of those long triplet runs. Right. But then immediately, I mean, and, and for me, Dennis is like the precision king at that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, not to mention the way that Dennis had his kick tuned on those recordings compared to the way Bonham had yeah. it. It was so flawless and just almost sample like. Yeah. Where with Bonham, you can hear the bass drum doing its thing and making. Yeah, it's kind of humming. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, but that, I mean. What was Bonham playing? Was he 24 or 26? Well, that Based first on. record, that was a 22, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a, I think okay. that's a little bit of a trivia that a lot of people don't know. I'm pretty sure it was a Slingerland kit, 22. And then the second record was when he was to his his big 26. Okay. I mean, dude, doing that on a 26 would be rough. And yeah. having the microphone hear the notes. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it can be tough for sure. But I think it comes down to the time you put in and being okay with the little, you know, maybe the 60 BPM of and waiting. And then maybe tomorrow it's 62 BPM and you just kind of make your way up that ladder. Um, and you also have to have a need for this. You can't just do it because someday you might cover good times, bad times. I mean, you know, do you have a need for this? And I, I think there's great need for it as long as you don't overuse it. Yeah. I try not to ever use it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's um, – I'm trying to think of when – I don't know if I would ever use it that way. Like the way – I've never gone, cat. Right. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever done that. But I'm trying to think eh, – I use it a lot in my paradiddle diddle replacement thing where I'm doing right kick, right, right kick, kick. It's just it's – di- it's a different phrasing for sure. But, I mean, I, I definitely am controlling the fact that I'm playing triplets and in that – on that last – um, two triplet parcels. I'm I'm playing that, so it it might show up. I just yeah. I don't I don't play left foot kick kick. I will say this though, 
in that Weckl video when he does it and then solos over it, it is a really cool ostinato if you can keep it going. Yeah. Um, yeah, it and is. It's just yeah, kind yeah. of humming. It's not powerful. It's just and then dave just starts being dave over and it's like oh man okay that's that's worth practicing if if you're doing solo stuff for sure i think i remember will calhoun doing it with a really tiny 18 inch bass drum on the left oh yeah incredibly high and then a regular bass drum on the right and that was a cool sound it was more like yeah an that would be amazing thing, for sure it was pretty neat yeah so yeah, the, yeah the one i just looking at exercise number what is it Eight and nine. I've never tried this. So you're doing triplets left on the downbeat, right on the middle, and third triplet for the whole measure. The hands then play quarter notes with a right and then a half note triplet with a left. So you're playing mm. three over four over mm. the triplets. Mm. That I'm pretty stoked to go home and try. And then he got then he yeah, does six say, over four in the next exercise. I'm not gonna embarrass myself by tapping that one out <laughs> on the desk right now. No, thank you. Pretty but, uh, neat. That sounds that sounds cool. Who wrote this again? This is Powell Randolph. Awesome. All right, everybody, we'll check that out. That is in the current issue of Modern Drummer. And getting back to his article, how great was that intro groove? <laughs> Thanks to Dan Reynolds. Good <laughs> old Dan Reynolds. Come on now. Uh, he had a nice open bass drum sound. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's what I like. I mean, I knew that you were just kind of waiting to wrap this up to, <laughs> to bring it all the way back to Danny Reynolds. All right, we'll drop it back in so we can check it out. He's using two mics. He's got a CAD M179 as the overhead and an Audio-Technica ATM250 on the kick drum. What's he say? What you hear is a kick and floor tom rim from an old 70s premiere kit, um, some mysterious snare, and a pair of unlabeled Zildjian hi-hats. That's it. And he recorded it in Reaper. Thanks, Dan. You can send your intro beats to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Make sure you either send, if you're going to attach the file, make sure you also send a link for me to download it on Dropbox or something like that as well so that file doesn't get lost in the shuffle. Um, yeah, so anyway, we are now at Barrett Martin, Barrett Screaming Martin. Trees and Screaming the Bar- Barrett Martin Group. So were you a grunge head? Yeah, so I, I was completely out of rock until grunge. Grunge is what, uh, I guess, got really the singles soundtrack, which his band Screaming Trees was on. The singles soundtrack is what got me away from school music. You know, I mean, everything for me was school music. And I, I actually would try to find tapes of the symphonic pieces we were playing. I was like, oh, I'd wow. Go, I would. That's what I was listening to that, and then I was doing big band stuff. So it was a lot of Buddy Rich big band and hmm. Gene Krupa and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd I'd take that tape out and I'd put it in a recording of Carmina Burana. It's like let's go. <laughs> Can't wait till that gong shows up and measure eight hundred forty six million. I would not. <laughs> it, I would have never <laughs> guessed that. <laughs> you know, really? Yeah. No. Well, I mean, and then my my dad. Uh, Helped me out with albums. So, you know, I had Billy Cobham's Spectrum, and I'd just repeat that every day. I had um, whatever live cream albums he'd give me with Ginger Baker. So there was a little bit of rock and roll, but I, I honestly, like Rush and all that stuff, that completely skipped me. I didn't know about it. Mm. And I, I listened to music, like on MTV as it was coming out, Duran Duran and all that, yeah. but not like a drummer. I mean, it was just kind of like a kid that liked music. But if I was listening for drum reasons, it was that until I got the single soundtrack and that had um, 
you know, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Soundgarden, Mud Honey, um, Paul Westerberg. Yeah. Yeah. And Screaming Trees. And that was that was when I was like, okay, whatever these guys are doing, I actually want to do this. And I sought out my first band. So yeah, it was actually a huge impact for me. Interesting. For me, grunge was like worlds colliding with, cause I was way into classic rock and then way into punk rock. And it was like those two oh, things nice. coming together. I'm like, Whoa, this is everything that I like about music all in one without it sounding yeah. like old sixties rock and not, you know, being, having no melody in some of the hardcore punk I was listening to. Yeah. And also it was, it was a new, you know, obviously we were coming out of the the hair rock and the butt rock era, which wasn't a, a very deep, uh, you know, form of music. And then all of a sudden, I think butt rock was got, later, wasn't it? <laughs> I thought butt rock and hair rock were almost the same thing. Are they different things? I'm not sure. That might be worth I, uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I just showed Amber the some videos from the David Lee Roth solo album with Bissonette and uh, who's playing bass. Uh, Damn it. Oh, oh man. Anyways. Billy Sheehan? It was Billy Sheehan, uh, Steve Vai on guitar, and Bissonette. I just showed Amber some of the videos, and she was like, you listen to this? I was like, no, slow down. <laughs> I watched it. A lot of girls in these videos. I watched it. I don't know if I listened to it, but Bissonette was pretty awesome. So, um, so anyways, we were coming out of that where everything was just kind of fluff, and then all of a sudden we hit grunge, and... You know, it wasn't fluff anymore, and it seemed like it seemed like some of these people were pretty depressed. No one in Hair Rock was depressed. <laughs> no, no, no one. I mean, yeah, they were as people, all the time, but yeah, right. But lyrically, if you were like, "Well, our single is called Girls, Girls, Girls," and you know, it's like, okay, that's it. And so, anyway, so yeah, when this stuff came out, it was just a different um, level of music for me. So, same thing, and then also too. The drumming, you know, Uh, I remember seeing that first video um, by Pearl Jam alive and that was like, who was in the video? Was that? That's Matt Chamberlain. That's Matt Chamberlain. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't record it, right? Uh, The other guy. No, but that that video was a live recording of the tour that Matt was on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I remember seeing that and just thinking, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do. Screaming Trees was definitely a part of that for sure, you know. So just to wrap it up, butt rock. <laughs> yes. Oh, bring it. You got you got your Wikipedia on? Let's go. Urban Dictionary. Butt rock mm. is a, sh- <laughs> a subgenre of hard rock strongly influenced by post-grunge and new metal. It originated yeah. in the mid-90s, and it comprises uh, raspy vocals and radio-friendly guitar riffs, drum beats, and basic bass lines. Butt rock groups include Nickelback, Seether, Theory of a Dead Man, oh, Three Doors Down. Oh, okay. That's I got I it. Thought. I thought it was like the 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 wake of grunge when it became corporatized. I gotcha. Okay. Cool. Well, look at look at that. Now <laughs> I I will never misuse that term ever again. I so understand. Poison We're, and Nickelback are not the same. They are not. No, they're not. <laughs> Striper and Seether are not the same. Got it. Okay, so let's talk about our man, Barrett Martin. Yeah, so, so we did a story on him now because he just put out a, it's basically, a, I think it's an autobiography called The Singing Earth. It kind of chronicles his whole journey that he's been on post-Screaming Trees, which I, I have to admit, I was not really following what he was up to, and it's really cool. So I want to drop in... 
some audio from what did I send you? The link. It's his band, the Barrett Martin yep, the Group. Snake Charmer. Yeah, the track Snake Charmer. It's pretty groovy, so check it out. We'll check out like a minute of it or something. sticks out to me right away is how it's funny that we both kind of missed out on this because this is right up our alley yep. of Critters Buggin'. It sounds to me like a little bit straighter Critters Buggin'. Totally. Yep. I mean, as soon as I heard it, I was like, <laughs> how the hell did the two of us miss out on this? Because this is like, this is our jam right here. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of this music that he's been creating is is kind of uh, stemming from him traveling the world. So it's a lot of world influences. You hear a little bit yeah. of that. There's He's calling it the Snake Charmer, so there's that Middle Eastern influence there. Um, one of the sub subsections of the article is Zen and the Art of Drumming, so he's really into like actual Zen, not, not the New Age, I'm so Zen kind of thing, but he's actually really okay. studying legit Zen. Uh, it says, I was ordained in Soto Zen. So he's an ordained... What do Damn. you call that, monk? <laughs> I don't even know what you would call that. Uh, stud? <laughs> Is that a technical term? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the the band, and they do have, um, do I have, I don't still have it up, but they do have a, an album, or he's got a few albums, actually, but it's, yeah, it's really cool stuff. I mean, especially if the drum nerd stuff that's just all drum-centric is a little much, and you just wish there was a little bit more music, um, but still very atmospheric. This is the stuff, you know, for sure. Yeah, exactly. uh, there's also a killer live performance that has really good close-up camera angles uh, called the Barrett Martin Group Marching Orders, and uh, it's, it's uh, from the KNKX Public Radio video uh, channel. Yeah, that's so, a great channel. And it, it's great. It, it's kind of Tiny Desk concert-ish, but it's, it's still really good because it's just filmed really well. And the sound is fantastic, and you can just really see him play. And it's it's not like a concert vibe where it's smoky and dark. I mean, it's it's well lit. It's really cool to watch. Yeah, so I would recommend checking out his book because I now that I'm thinking back, I think it's his whole career, like including Screaming Trees and kind of the chaos that was involved with that band in that early '90s period, and then goes on into later stuff. His new record is called "The Quality of Fire," which is actually a double album, twenty songs. It has um, some of the old uh, alternative guys on it. It's got Kim from Soundgarden, the guitarist. Yeah. It's got Kim Peter. Thayhill or whatever. Yeah, something like that. T-H-A-Y-I-L. Peter Buck from R.E.M. is on it. Um, Wayne Horvitz, who's played with Bill Frizzell and John Zorn. Um, Dave Catching, who's played with Eagles of Death Metal. So that the new stuff has got like some of the... Some of the old alternative guys, some newer alternative guys, but very cool. groovy. So yeah, his this stuff is. I, I I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't check it out before. Now, honestly, yeah, it's me really too. Cool. Uh, it was it was funny. Like I was watching a video of him this morning when I was doing research for this, and it was just something that I clicked on, and it was, uh, you know, kind of said 
drum cam vibe, you know, Barrett Martin drum cam. I was like, oh, cool. And then uh, the artist was Mike McCready. But I it, oh. it didn't even, I was like, because I didn't know who Barrett Martin was at the time when I was watching this. I was like, that's funny. That's the same name as the guy that was in Pearl Jam. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that is the guy that's in Pearl Jam. Oh, my God. This guy's playing with everybody. So really cool stuff for sure. Um, I agree. Check. Just start getting into him because it's it's a rabbit hole of, of past and current. And like you said, the book and the albums. It's actually pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, I applaud him for, for really kind of diving deep into this. And a lot of it has to do with um, wildlife preservation. So he's real active That's and that cool. kind of stuff. Very cool, man. I, I dig him. Very cool. I don't know him, so but I feel like I need to know him now. <laughs> he, he seems just cool. Well, I don't. I don't know. I'm, I'm. I'm speaking out of turn here, but it, just from the studying we've done today, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's like, "Yeah, babe, stoked for 2018 Nam, 2019 Nam." <laughs> right. So I don't know if we're going to run into him this year at Nam. That seems like that seems like it would be his personal hell. Like what? No, yeah, not going to that. That's true. Can you think of one he seems little, where he doesn't want to go on, in January? That would probably be it. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd rather be like, I want to go study martial arts on the top of a mountain somewhere. And if, <laughs> if Mike and Mike want to meet me up there, then cool. Let's have some tea. All right, so definitely check out Barrett Martin. Uh, check out the Barrett Martin group, and you can also check out the past stuff he's done with Screaming Trees. Now it is time to get into some gear. And this is something that you and I have both had for a while. I yep. opened mine right away. You opened yours seven months after receiving I it. I certainly did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then when you opened it, you were uh, it seemed like you had some fun with it. Um, I found a lot of positives and a few maybe negatives. Um, but I think it, it all comes down to what you're using it for. So I definitely want to discuss that. I'm talking about the Yamaha EAD-10. So uh, you want to explain what this thing is? Yeah, very simply, it is a microphone that you attach to your bass drum hoop. It's a stereo mic, so it captures the entire kit. And it also has a trigger in it, so it's a bass drum trigger and a stereo microphone. And in the in the module, you it has a bunch of preset kits, which include effects as well as triggered samples. So you're effectively blending triggered bass drums, snare drums, whatever you want to trigger with the acoustic sound being manipulated with effects that you can add. Yeah. So when you buy this thing, you get this block that looks a lot like a trigger. You stick it on your on your bass drum, but you also get a brain or a module yeah. to go with it that controls it. Um, and I think what's confusing about it, and I even talked to the guys from Yamaha, like the engineers came here right after Nam. Uh, this past January, and I said, I think the biggest fault is that it looks like it looks like a trigger, and it mm. is a trigger, which makes everybody forget that its biggest thing is the fact that it records your whole kit. It's a it's a stereo set of microphones. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a recorder. And, yeah, yeah, and 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 it and then in typical modern day fashion, it's like, and we can do this with it, and then this, and then mm. like ninety features later, I'm like, what? So what does it do again? <laughs> <laughs> and that's tough, you know, I mean, I, and they're not the only ones to go through that by any means. There's a lot of times where things kind of get overbuilt and it's like, this is amazing, but it's going to be hard to market because it does so many things. I mean, what you can do with that little unit and your phone with the Yamaha app is unreal. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. it'll tempo map songs. It'll count you in so you can do drum covers. It does so much that it's like, okay, I don't even know what the heck this thing does. So <laughs> let's keep it kind of simple for this review. Starting with just the stereo pair of microphones, it's weird. I mean, not many mm. people mic their bass drum and their drum kit from the bass drum hoop. 
So how did you find it as a microphone set? I often have a microphone in that spot to do like a real close mono recording, and I can I can get a full kit sound to a degree with that. What usually ends up being left out is the hi-hat is usually a little bit weak, which is fine if I'm using that as a mono room sound. I don't want hi-hat in my mono room mic to begin with. Sure. But if I'm just using a microphone there for the capture of the entire kit, the hi-hat is usually a little weak. The far crashes are usually a little weak. The right. ride the ride symbol can be a little bit loud. So that's right. kind of exactly what I experienced with this, was it captured the whole kit pretty well, but I felt like if the ride symbol was down too low, it, it kind of was too much, and the crashes in the hi-hat were a little a little light. But I thought it did everything right. else pretty pretty accurately. I yeah, mean, I, I felt that it was cool. I mean, the bass drum is tough because it's so close to it that I felt like Nothing I did could stop it from clipping a little bit sometimes. Um, not mm. as a not as a trigger. The trigger worked fantastic, and you can is- isolate the trigger setting. You can say, "Give me all trigger or all mic or a mix of both." Um, but but yeah, and then and then I think that uh, I think as a practice tool, it's amazing just to hear yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think that that part's really cool. I think to record simple drum covers, amazing. To record ideas, fantastic. Uh, it has the same pitfalls that you would have with buying an electric kit, which is you immediately on the module go to the phaser. Yeah, the and weird you go stuff. To the delays. Yeah, uh, and then and then eventually you kind of dial it in. But with compression and reverb on there, you can get your kit to sound pretty amazing right away. Yeah, I what I'm using it mostly for now is as a kind of a fake parallel compressor. So rather than running mm-hmm. my mics out of my mixer into a, a compressor to get a separate channel of you know clean drums and also compressed drums I can blend together. I use the this the EAD10, crank the effect the compressor effect all the way up, and just blend that in underneath my regular drum mics, and it just adds all that oh. punchy power stuff. So I don't have to worry about running plugins with compressors if I'm just doing something quick. I mean, it's not the perfect yeah, yeah. compressor sound, sure, but sure. it definitely, especially for just videos I'm going to post online. It's a great option to be able to just bring that in because it adds you know, just an extra amount of just body and depth to, yeah, the, to the drum I sound. I agree. So and I, I will say it. this. I think their compressor that they're using in that module and their reverb, I actually really like it. Um, yeah, the reverbs are clean and they sound good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm good with that. I think the uh, – and I think the price point is amazing on this thing. Uh, before we talk too much more about it, do you want to just show them what it sounds like? Yeah. So we'll go through. I did a demo of just some of the presets. So I'll drop in. Let's see. What do we got? First preset is, what is it called? <laughs> the first one you did Arena. is. Yeah. Now, guys, when you hear this, there are no mics on his kit, even though if you watch the video, it looks like there are none of those channels are on. You're hearing all the audio is coming through this little tiny block that is attached to Mike's bass drum hoop. So, yeah, so that's the arena kit, and I didn't do, aside from calibrating the module with the automatic function where you just hit, like, a calibrate feature and you play and it sets the levels automatically, 
I didn't do anything else. So you're hearing some kick trigger and some real kick. The drums are all acoustic. The effects level is exactly how it is uh, when I turn the unit on. So I didn't tweak anything other than just getting the initial calibration set. So that's the arena right, kit. Let's get weird with Psych. Preset number two. Yeah. One thing we didn't mention is this module does have um, extra space for more triggers, and I'm assuming you do have a trigger on your snare, right? I do, yeah. I'd show that. In the arena kit, there is no trigger assigned to the snare, but I do have okay. the, the trigger on the snare drum. So when any of the presets come up that had triggered sounds for that extra input, they're layered in there. So yeah, there's like a weird splatty hand clap on top yep. of my snare drum in that one. Uh, damn Dynaphaser. You you guys, it's a, it's a it's a rabbit hole. You're going to you're going to play this thing way too much. You have no actual use for this ever, but dang it's fun. God dang it's fun. All right, this is preset 3 Dynaphaser. <laughs> So let's get the one that I think is kind of more universal would be the compressor preset. I mean, just that on its own, honestly, especially since everyone's listening to you through their phone on Instagram, that is more than enough. Yeah, totally. And that is with the, again, I didn't change anything. You can crank that compressor and it just really kind of punches through. Um, Yeah, that one is, I mean, that was the one that I just turn on if I want to just play the drums and have that, have the EAD involved. I put on the compressor setting because it just... It still sounds like real drums, but you're getting some extra kind of fun stuff happening. And I think that that's, I guess, you know, if it sounds like I have like a negative tinge on this thing, please keep in mind, I'm a Yamaha DTX artist. I mean, this is my family that's making this thing. And I think it's just that I know what happens to the drummer brain. And it would be awesome if this thing came out and this is all it did. Compressor. And that, it was just done. And then they rolled out, oh, we're going to give you Dynaphaser this month. <laughs> yeah. And you just got like, you know, you kind of like slowly build it because it's so overwhelming. I mean, this thing has a metronome in it that's fantastic. It yeah. has so many different things that yeah, the, it's just yeah. it's the, overwhelming. At the first. delays, you can set the tempo of the delay. And what we haven't talked about at all is there's a button where you hit record and it actually records what you're playing in real time up to like, a, I think with the standard memory, I think it's. It's three minutes or something like that. Plenty yeah, I mean, of time. It's, it's amazing. And so, then you can put and, a, a flash drive in the back and you can record like 
your entire set essentially. Right. Yeah, it's pretty dang cool. Um, you want to do Studio Reverb and then wrap this thing up? Studio Reverb. Let's do Studio Reverb and Dirty. So Studio Reverb, I think, is another good one that's just a nice natural sound with some good reverb. And then the Dirty would be the one that I would use for, like, breakbeats, things like that. So here's Studio Reverb. see if if what i'm doing with this is i'm using that as like an effects channel so i have my regular drum mics not in this recording this recording was all from the ead but when i use this in the real world i have all my regular mics and then i just blend in this these affected sounds and it's it's kind of perfect yeah so let's check out the dirty preset which i think is number eight Yeah, like I said, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing what it can do. It's got an aux-in cable, so if you're not trying to do anything crazy but you just want to play along to your favorite music, you don't need to get a mixing board to play through your phone to play your phone through this thing mm-hmm. or to play an iPad through. So it's got an aux-in. It's got um, right and left outputs. You've got, like I said, you can add, I think, what, four total um, triggers, right? Because you have kick and snare dedicated and then maybe two assignable ones. Yeah, the uh, that I have to look at the kick. I believe um, you can't split it off, but the the snare one you can split it off to two mono triggers. Yeah, and then there's five and six on the back as well. Yeah. So, um, and then yeah, you've got USB as well, and that's how you're able to control the. I can't remember the name of the app, but there's an app that you can get from Yamaha. I think it's called and Record allows- and Share or something like that. Or yeah, Record and, and Share. And that allows you to make – literally you get to use your phone's camera to video yourself, but it will do all the mixing inside of it for you. So yeah. once again, any negative sound I have in my voice is not from the performance of this unit. It's how much this does that it just makes it kind of confusing like, wait, what is it? And then especially because the price point, you get this whole thing, the unit, the cables, everything for $499. Um, so for 500 bucks, you kind of think like, wait, so it can't possibly do all that. But it does. So I think especially for somebody that's like, ah, I don't want to go full, uh, you know, SPD, X-Pad or Yamaha Multi-12. But I just kind of want to get into electronics or maybe some effects. Uh, this would be a really cool thing to get into. And especially as a practice tool, it's just amazing. Yeah, I think teachers could get a lot out of it by recording mm-hmm. lessons and real quick and easy. Um, and also I'm hearing from touring drummers using this for in-ear monitoring. So they're running a, oh. a signal out of the mixing board into this. And then using it as a monitoring system. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be perfect for my clinics, honestly. I mean, I really space is super limited for me because I'm I'm traveling with a backpack as far as going to the shows. But if I was actually on tour, this is how I would monitor myself for sure. Yeah, um, it would be amazing. But the, yeah, and the other thing that I really love about this unit is how insanely quick it was to set up. 
Even yeah. though it took you a yeah. while to open the box, once you open the box, <laughs> you are literally up and running in like three minutes. There's yeah, like I mean, two the cables only, and you know where they go. The, the only decision I had to make was where was I going to put the module. Initially, I had it on right. the right side under the ride symbol. Now, currently, I have it under the hi-hat, uh, which seems it's still to be on a better your kit. spot. But yeah. Oh, yeah. It's still there. Oh, that's awesome. Man. I bought it. Really cool. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Well, that is the Yamaha EAD-10 uh, electronic drum module with mic and trigger pickup. And like I said, when you see this thing and check out the reviews on it, just remember it it the its main function is that it's a stereo microphone. So um, it, it mics your whole kit. Really cool stuff. All right, let's get to some questions. All right. So our first question, we could probably go back to the EAD at, at some point and talk about even more. There, there's so many features in it. Um, I agree. Uh, the app is free, so just to put that out there, get the app now. It has a slow down feature, I think. So if you, you can import yep. any any file that's in your, you know, actually saved in your iTunes on your phone, and it'll identify the tempo. It'll add a click track, and you can change the tempo, which is kind of freaky. Freaky cool. All right, our first question is from Alistair. Says I will. Uh, I usually listen to your podcast while munching on a plate of grilled chicken and steamed broccoli. That Atta being boy. said, I'm curious to know what is your favorite cheat meal. Oh man, two healthy boys here. <laughs> about to answer. About to go deep. <laughs> Mine used to be chicken wings, mm. but I had some chicken wings recently, and my stomach said you cannot have chicken wings anymore. So that's officially out of my uh, cheat meal library. <laughs> it's probably pizza nice. for me. Mm, pizza's a good one. Yeah, uh, never, mine never is fail. easy. It's uh, Sprouts, which I've mentioned before. It's kind of like our cheaper version of Whole Foods, but it's our it's our more affordable organic food store. And uh, every day they make chocolate chip cookies, and they are right at the Ooh. checkout counter. <laughs> and that that's not like my cheat dessert. That's my cheat meal. I'll have four of them. And they're the size of, I don't know, an eight-inch drum head, which I guess would be eight inches. I probably didn't even need to reference the head. <laughs> Everything references drum gear. Right. <laughs> totally. No, every time I go to pizza and somebody says, oh, it's a 12-inch. I'm like, and I tell Amber, I always say, babe, that's my first Tom. And she goes, oh, okay. I'm like, so if you want to share that, we can. Or they'll say it's a 14. I'm like, babe, that's my snare drum. That's a big-ass pizza. Um <laughs> So, yeah, so chocolate chip cookies, but they have to be very fresh baked. All right. All next right. Question. Next question is from, oh, it's another one from Alistair. We got two in a row from him. So do you, uh, my question is in regards to hi-hat and snare drum setup. Do you prefer to have the snare drum flat or angled? And what is your preferred distance between the hi-hat and snare? Go for it. Uh, okay, first one. Do you prefer to have your snare flat or angled? For me, it's usually more flat than angled, but it depends on the gig. If it's a gig where I don't want to be hitting rim shots, I'll angle it a little bit more towards me just to make sure I don't hit rim shots out of habit. But in general, it's it's almost flat, maybe just slightly yeah. angled towards me. Preferred distance between the hi-hat and snare, if you're talking vertically, again, that changes on the gig. If I'm hitting hard, the hi-hats go up higher. If I'm playing more notes on top of the cymbals, then they go lower. Distance left to right that's completely dependent on my where my feet need to be to be comfortable so so sometimes on my setup if i'm using 12s or 13s the hi-hats are like out and freaking they're out in pluto <laughs> they're way out there there's probably like six inch gap between the snare drum and the cymbals it's yeah. all dependent on where my feet have to be okay so your feet are the priority over getting that hi-hat 
exactly the same whether it's 12s or 15s yeah. as far as the relationship yeah. to the scenario. I think okay. if I had to think of – if I'm using 16s, the hi-hats are – the edge of the hi-hat probably is right up with the edge of the snare drum if I'm using 16s. So anything beyond that is just getting further away. Yeah. Um, for me, the snare drum is flat, um, but I am getting a little bit more lenient on the toms being a little more – angled into me i would say so mm-hmm. that there's a little bit of a a little bit of angle you know for a while everything was so it was like tabletop flat um and now i'm kind of a little more open to it uh but for the most part my symbols are going up but we'll get into that later uh i've noticed that happening a lot lately um so my s- snare's flat and then my hi-hat um i would say looking at it right now higher than normal and it's probably about six to seven inches above my snare drum Mm. which for me is kind of high uh i think i had a thing where i felt like it was poor technique to keep raising your hi-hat so that your sticks didn't hit and because i saw great drummers where their hi-hat was only maybe five or six inches above their snare and they were able to get as loud of a rim shot as anyone else and keep their ghosts down and they never hit their sticks together so uh, now that I feel comfortable that I can do that, now that now I'm just playing for straight up comfort. As far as the distance horizontally, the edge of my hi hat always literally comes to the edge of my snare drum, and but because of my height, that happens to work out also for putting my feet in the proper position. And you're using mostly 15s, mostly 15s, and honestly, I mean, if I do 14s, then my my hi hats come in one inch. Not closer. that big a deal, yeah. Not a not a big deal. And I I unlike you or maybe Mark or other people that experiment a lot with hi hats, I don't really experiment with a lot with hi hats. So I'm definitely never going from sixteens to twelves. It's either fourteens or fifteens, and that's it. So yeah. Hope that helps, Alistair. All right, last one. This is from um, Reto. I guess that's Reto. R E T O. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, I have a question about playing with a click says i have no issues playing to a click however i'm frustrated when recording to a click with my band um, we were doing takes where everyone was playing to the click but the guys in the band started to speed up and i couldn't hold them back as a result the click was nowhere near the tempo which was hard for me to handle what is the solution here should i just be playing with the click um, or do you have any other suggestions reddo from switzerland Man, you might have to track by yourself and have them track over you. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, well, yeah. I guess it's, if you're listening back and you say, is it obvious that the band is speeding up or does it feel good and the energy just made you want to play a little bit faster and then don't play to a click. If if the band tempo feels good, then I don't think forcing a click on it is a good idea. I mean, I was just yeah. learning a bunch of disco songs for a gig this weekend. And I had the live BPM app uh, open just to check the tempos on every one of them. Assuming they're all going to start and stop at 120 or whatever. Right. Every single one of them sped up four or five clicks. Every really? single one of them. But they felt wow. great. And it's classic disco dance music. And you think it's right. rock solid, but it's not. So that would be my first question is why are you using the click? <laughs> is it because everyone right. has terrible tempo and they're speeding up and slowing down? Or is it because you think you have to? Are you using the click for editing later? Um, but I would say if your band's getting good takes, try without a click. Otherwise, tell them, hey, dudes, stop speeding up. We're playing to a click track. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that beep is not a suggestion. <laughs> but I think line. they should hear it. If if it's a problem that you 
that you really think needs to be fixed, they have to hear it. They have to be able to be like, oh, you know, what's tough, too. And I I, I don't think this ever really gets discussed, because when we're talking about studio and we're talking about clicks, we're kind of in our mind already referencing professional drum land. But there needs to be something said, too, for realizing you weren't ready to be in the studio, you and your band. Um, maybe you weren't well enough rehearsed to record these tracks. There's a whole different ballgame from rehearsing songs very loosely in your practice space and then showing up to this high-pressure situation where everyone's got headphones and it's very different than where you've been playing and there's a producer and time is money and it's like, are you really ready to track this stuff? Like, You should be mock tracking in your practice space as a band if you're going to try to do this um, to save yourselves money because, you know, Time is money in those situations. So, and that's that's okay. It's okay to pack up and leave and say, you know what, sir, we will be back in three months. Thank you so yeah. much for your time. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, yeah, if you're not rehearsing with everyone listening to a click on headphones, then when you get to record it, it's not going to work. It's just not going right. to work. Yeah, especially if you're dealing with musicians in your band that they don't play to a click. You know, I, I have uh, when I was playing with this jazz guitarist Tyson Graff. He's a guitarist, but he played – he used a metronome far more than I did. I mean he was obsessed with it. So mm. it was like I knew that if we ever went into the studio, he would not be the problem when it comes to a click. So um, some people do and some people just don't. Yeah. Yeah, so good luck. I'm, keep me posted on what you end up doing. I mean I think it's – that's a tough one. Well, wait a minute. Tell me this. How long ago did he send in that question? Uh, this is pretty recent. This is ten days okay. ago. Okay, I was I was gonna say they couldn't. They might not even be a band anymore. <laughs> Reddo's like, oh, I hate those guys. They all rush. I'm out. I got a whole new band. I've been touring for the last six months. I mean, I think uh, I think we should all take a step back and say it's okay if the tempo changes and it feels good. There's no rule that says the song has to start and stop exactly at 120. Right. Just listen to all of your favorite bands prior to 1979 and. It's going to breathe. Right. So No, I agree. I, I agree. mean, I've done tracks, like overdubbing drum tracks for people where the demo was a little wishy-washy. And if I played right with the click, I sounded wrong. Right. So yeah. I, I had yeah. to kind of go with the flow a little bit. So, I don't know. You have to pick your own path, I guess, on that one. But let's play know on the how field. it goes. Don't play on the click. Just play on the field. All righty. So, if you guys want to send in more questions, please do so at mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. I'm going to be flat out honest with you. I did not have a pick of the week, but I do now. All right. <laughs> now, this is a pick of the week that I made. Oh, man, like maybe in episode one through ten. But okay. it's a revamped pick of the week because I just bought it again. So if you guys haven't noticed, when I went to uh, Asia, did the China thing and the Southeast Asia thing, I, for the first time, started doing these short one-minute vlogs, which I've never done before. I've never taken a camera with me when I travel other than my phone. So while doing that, I have to edit that. And that's not something I can just edit in you know, iMovie or something like that. I have to edit it in, in Adobe Premiere. So I have what the pick of the week was a long time ago, which is the Dell XPS 13. And for any of you that are non-Mac people, this is a fantastic, fantastic laptop. It is a workhorse of a laptop, and I just have loved it. I've had it for about three years now. Well, while doing these vlogs, the one thing that I'm struggling with, it's not the power of the computer, it's the real estate. It's a 13-inch laptop, and I don't have enough visual real estate to be editing these videos and splitting all these clips together, and it's really hard to do my work. So I just was like, well, you know what? 
I love this laptop so much. I'm going to see if they make a 15 and they do. And now it's, you know, 4k display and it's 5 billion terabytes of storage. And, you know, I mean, it's changed a lot since I got mine three years ago, but the one that I got three years ago, I'm editing 4k footage on it just fine. And it's not, it's not glitching out on me. So I'm so excited. So I ordered a Dell XPS 15. Like I said, if you're a PC person and you're not a Mac person, I highly recommend this laptop and the 15 inch will give me the real estate I'm looking for. And I'm really excited to, to get that later this week. So, all right. My pick of the week, uh, like I said, I was learning all these disco songs for this gig coming up this weekend. And one of the songs is Stevie wonders. I wish, um, and I found a drums only version. So my pick of the week, if you go to YouTube, search Stevie wonder, I wish only drums. It's a masterclass in badassness. <laughs> It's a master badass class. <laughs> He's overdubbing hi-hats on top of himself that I had never noticed before. It's crazy. So I'm going to drop in some of it. Let's check it out. This is Stevie Wonder, I Wish It's the Only Drums. that awesome on the drums and one of the best songwriters of all time and singers <laughs> cool. that's i mean it's it's prince before prince right i mean yeah it's, it's you're in the them, session yeah. and you're just like oh this sucks the singer's way better at the drums than me please don't come over here please don't oh god he's walking over oh he's gonna sing. grab my sticks all right lunch i'm not on this track <laughs> yep and i guess yeah lenny kravitz kind of took this this mold right. and did it yeah yep Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. So um, there's there's quite a cool. few of Stevie Wonder drum only mixes on YouTube. There's Higher Ground. There's several. This is the one that particularly I was like, dang, this this guy was on another level. Awesome. All right. So if you're looking for a new super powerful laptop, check out the Dell XPS 13. <laughs> I'm not endorsed by them in any way. I paid full, full price and got in a decent fight with the wife over it. Um, <laughs> or if you want to check out some amazing drums, check out Stevie Wonder. I wish only drums. That's the title on YouTube. All right, my friend. Uh, let's check out some outro music. All right. Our outro beat this time is Evan. He sent in. This is another two-mic recording. He's got an SM58 as an overhead and SM57 on the bass drum, recorded in the garage band through an Alesis IO2. Um, it is a vintage made-in-Japan wood snare drum, a Al Foster Yamaha hip gig bass drum, which is an 18-inch wide by 22 inches deep drum. Thank you, sir. A peisty 20-inch crash. Um, there you go. So... Evan. Thanks, Evan. All right, buddy. Have a great week, man. I will see you soon. All right. See you. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.